Father, this evening we just come to you. As your child said, Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We just thank you, Lord, in this world and in this life, where there's change every day, Lord. There is one constant, that is you, Father. And this evening, once again, we draw our hearts, our minds, our thoughts back to you. Help us, Lord, to hear, help us to understand, help us continue to progress in your kingdom. For it's the kingdom of light, it's the kingdom of power, it's the kingdom that can never be shaken. Speak to us, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We, we go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, like we prayed in the midst of all these things that happen in our lives, everybody's lives, all the things that happen, there is only one constant that is God. He says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Okay. Okay. Therefore, he tells his people, Jacob, Israel, yeah, no? that you are not consumed. It's one constant in our life, that is God. And therefore, we need to get to know him better and better. That's the purpose. He never changes. Last time when I spoke, I think, was it on a two Sundays back, I said about three stages that is common in the world or in the kingdom, with an unbeliever or a believer. The first stage is what we call ignorance. And the second stage is you know, but you don't believe. It is unbelief. And the third stage is you know, you know it is true, but it's rebellion. You rebel. The, the opposite of it is, of ignorance, of course, is knowledge. The opposite of unbelief is belief or faith. And the opposite of rebellion is, of course, surrender. Okay? And let's just keep recapping because... We don't need to know so many things which you learn in your schools and universities. It's okay, it's good. But honestly, if you ask anybody who's older over here, almost everything you learned in school is irrelevant, except for math, when you go shopping. Okay, and uh, you ask anybody who's older, you don't even remember the names of your friends in school. And these are the people with which you waste your time. I don't remember. I, th I can't remember my school friends. College, post-salvation, I remember. But you will really realize in life, these are not the people who really matter. These are not the subjects which really matter. Do well. Get good marks. But remember, the only thing that matters is the kingdom. And the knowledge of the kingdom. And the knowledge of God. So in Hosea 4.6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why did destruction come? Because of lack of knowledge. And I'm telling you, ignorance can destroy you. So one of the reasons we study and we appropriate information which is connected with this world and with this life is uh, knowledge, a lot of knowledge helps you that you live longer and you live well, you live better. Okay? 
And in Isaiah 5 and verse 13, God says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. So these are two different things. One, people are destroyed. Second, they go into bondage. And that's what Jesus said. The enemy, the devil, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So ignorance brings destruction. Ignorance brings captivity. And ignorance, just imagine the strength of a little chain and the enormous strength of the elephant. And yet, it is tethered to the little pole with that chain all his life. Because he has no clue. One kick, it's out, and you are free. Captivity. Okay, that's how the enemy uses ignorance to hold us in bondage. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. It breaks the shackles of the enemy. So remember, ignorance or even wrong knowledge, okay, it's a form of ignorance, destroys us and holds us in captivity. And when Bible is talking about ignorance here, it is not talking about the or knowledge. It's not talking about the knowledge of what you learn in school or college. It's about who God is or the wrong knowledge of God. Let us let's get it. Let me give you an example, even how a wrong knowledge of God, okay, can either you miss your breakthrough or you lose your head. Okay. King Saul's last day. King Saul is dying. They have lost the battle. He asks his armor bearer, kill me. I don't want to fall in the hands of these Philistines because they will torture you and all kind of stuff. He says, Armor bearer was shocked. He said, No, I cannot kill my king. So scripture says he fell on his own sword and he died. He committed suicide. Harakiri. The first Harakiri was not in Japan, it was in Israel. Harakiri means to fall upon your own sword. That's how the Japanese would die to see that they were not captured as prisoners of war. Okay? Or the suicide bombers were not first in Iraq, it was in Japan, they were called kamikaze pilots, okay, they, even they knew they, they, the plane was going down, they would crash it into an enemy ship and die in the process, bring destruction, okay, understand, origin of words, okay, when you have a term called assassin, it originated in the Middle East because they used to drug them with hashish kind of marijuana, and then send them to kill from hashish, you get the term assassin, okay, so understand origin so that we know we know where all these things originate. But the first case of Harakiri was in Israel. It was Saul. Saul fell on his sword and he died. The Philistines will come and they will do all this. Among them, I believe there was an Amalekite. Remember, he was told to destroy the Amalekites. And he did not destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekite comes over there, takes his crown and his band and he runs to David. And on the way, he just put some dust on his head and torn clothes and all says, I have come from the camp of Israel. He's hoping, ah, all these years, Saul was after David. So David is going to be tickled pink that Saul is dead. See, I brought the crown, I brought the band. Now you are king. He thought, I will get a reward. Problem is, he had a terrible ignorance of the nature of David. He, did, he was running for his reward without realizing he was running to his death. When he meets David, David asks, he actually lies. He actually says, no, I killed him. David tells one of his soldiers, execute him. Okay, so please understand. 
ignorance of the son of David can be a killer. In the kingdom of God, because a lot of people, their knowledge of God is not according to scripture. It's all fanciful ideas. But when death comes in, like the rich man, when death comes in a microsecond, not even that, suddenly you realize all your ideas fall apart. The only thing that matters is this was true. And it was always true. God does not change. It's all the same. And he says, the word never changes. So I have given you my word so that you get to know who I am and what the kingdom is like. So ignorance is not an option for God's children. It is not an option. Never ever think about ignorance of of God and how the kingdom works as an option. It is not even an option because it will bring destruction. It will bring destruction. Therefore, the warning of the last days, okay, the warnings, always the warnings, Jesus, the apostles. And let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now, again, it's a, it's a, we are familiar with this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, okay, so it's all connected with that. Jesus is coming, the church is taken. He's not coming onto earth to rule. He's coming part of the way. To take a prepared church. Don't ever presume that we are prepared. We are all on the process. But be prepared. Not to be soon shaken in mind. Or troubled either by spirit. Or by word. Or by letter. As if from us. As though the day of Christ had come. So you see they are all troubled. The day of Christ. You see even the Thessalonian churches. Are all noble churches. Not like us. Our churches of today. They are noble churches. But even they are troubled with this idea. The day of Christ has come. Because nobody is sure. Scripture says the whole of creation. Is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Nobody knows. Only God knows who is prepared. And who is ready for judgment. Okay. As the day of Christ had come. And verse 3. Let no one deceive you. Now again he says be sure. Beware of deception. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. He says, be very sure. He says, I'll give you signs, different, different signs are there. But he says, one of the signs is that before the day of the Lord will come, there will be a great falling away. Now, please remember all the letters in the Bible are written to the church, the people within the church, especially people who read the Bible. A lot of people in the church who never read the Bible and never have read the Bible, they, they think they are going to heaven and they are not. It's a simple, if you are going to heaven, you will read this. Because this is heaven's literature. It's a simple thing. Right? So, this is not talking about the world or to the world. It is about the church and to the church. Meaning, the falling away will occur in the church. It's not occurring in the world. The world has always fallen. But the falling away will occur in the church. And you need to always realize, you cannot fall unless you've been kind of standing. And verse 4 says, what happens? When this also happens, uh, verse 3, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who is revealed? The man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. So, God is saying, when you see the falling away happens, 
you will see two things. One, you will see those who are standing and you will see those who are fallen. There is a clear demarcation between the two. You will see the son of perdition being revealed, the son of lawlessness, the son of judgment being revealed. Okay? It will be revealed the son of perdition. Now connected with that, Romba, beginning of salvation till the end of salvation, it is this, Romans 1.17. For in it, what is in it, what is it? The gospel. In the gospel that we preach, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the righteousness of man, not the righteousness of religion, not the righteousness of works, all that God does not count, but the righteousness of that God. It is by faith, unto faith. From the beginning of the day of your salvation till the end, there is a righteousness that is revealed only by faith. Therefore, it is written, those who are justified, remember Romans 5.1, shall live by faith. Okay? Shall live by faith. Okay? So, when the falling away happens, the son of perdition is revealed. So, how does the falling away happen? Those who are supposed to walk by faith starts walking by sight. That's the first thing. Hebrews 10. Is that what I gave you? Yeah. Hebrews 10, 38, 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, like I said, if you're walking by faith, when you are drawing back, physically it won't be seen. But in the decisions you make, it will be seen. Now you are moving by sight, meaning with your reason, with your emotions, you are making decisions with that. And God says, if you do that, I will not be pleased with you. And, but we are not those who draw back to perdition. Walk of sight will reveal the son of perdition. When the falling away happens, it is because people who once knew the Lord, had walked for a season by faith, is drawing back. And who is revealed? The son of perdition is revealed. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, scripture says, we walk by faith and not by sight. When you draw back from the walk of faith, what do you do? You revert to sight. Sight is primarily emotions or reason. All the knowledge we have acquired from the world in uh, whatever you want to call it, universities, whatever, different forms of knowledge, except that was acquired from the word of God. That is the reason. So people will either fall into emotions or reasons or a combination of both. And the problem with sight is, sight is easily manipulated by the material and this physical world. Our sight is manipulated by our material or physical world. Look, we have a situation in our church. We have a, a young couple going through a crisis. Okay. So when you go through that crisis, the church is reacting to that crisis differently. Okay. Some will post all the pictures of their wedding and all, because it's an emotional response. Okay. It's good. It's nice. Okay. Though I'm not sure whether they are very happy when they see all those pictures. I do not know. Then some will uh, react with reason. Whatever will be, will be. Ki sara, sara. This has happened. This is a circle of life. Okay? And very few will be able to react actually by faith. Actually by faith. 
Okay. So every situation is a test for us. Because the enemy will allow sight and sight will manipulate the material and the physical. That is why this walk of fight is an incredible daily battle. It's a daily battle. It's a death and life battle. So when Paul says, I die daily, what he means is I die daily to this material world, to sight. I die daily to sight. I die daily to this world. I will not allow my decisions to be made by the way this world is functioning. The circumstances, the words of the people and all the things that is pushing me, I will not make my decision. So I have to die daily. And Jesus was very clear. It is easy to say, die. But how do you die? There are different ways you can die from probably a stone. Abel died probably because of a rock to a knife, to a sword, to different instruments of death are there. Death may be same, but different instrument. So for this death, only one instrument is prescribed. You cannot die by the sword. In Luke chapter 14, 27, very familiar words, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says, there is a way you can die daily, and that instrument is the cross. That's why we sang the song today. Near the cross. It shouldn't be near the cross. It should be under the cross. Okay? On your shoulders. Okay? The problem is, Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, anyone who wants to come after me or follow me needs to take his cross. The issue is, so many are actually trying to genuinely follow Christ without the cross. The problem is if you follow Christ without the cross, your vision is impaired. You are not seeing what you are supposed to see. You don't understand the way you are supposed to understand. So, it's not that you are not following Christ, but you are not following Christ the prescribed way. Heaven has its own ways. And it will not, those ways won't change because those ways are connected to the character of God and God does not change. So a lot of people are following Christ, honestly, but they are not able to see because only the cross will enable us to truly see Christ and pursue Christ. If I really want to see Christ as he really is, it's the only the cross that will enable me. Because in Galatians 6 verse 14, this is what Paul says. For God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what does the cross do? By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to thee. See, the cross kills the world in me and I am able to see Christ clearly. If the world is not dead in us, we do not see Christ properly. We do not see Christ properly. We cannot see Christ properly. It's a false image. It's not a real image. It's not an image that can save you. It's an image that will destroy you. That image does not have the power to give you anything on that other side. It's a false image. So we need a true image. And God has put his parameters in the Bible. And those who are truly seeking the kingdom of God, search the scriptures, the spirit shows them, and they start applying it and they say, hey, 
I thought Jesus was like this. But Jesus is not like this. And God says, it's okay. Now you understood, repent and keep changing. Keep changing. So cross is something which you carry with you. And how do you know the cross is working in your life? Will show your attitude to the world. Your attitude to this physical, material world will actually show you whether the cross is there, whether the cross is working or not. On the other hand, if I follow Christ without the cross, the Bible describes that state also. Everything is there in the Bible. All we have to do is to search it. It is there in the Bible. It's Paul puts it across in the book of Philippians. For many walk of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are who? The enemies, of, they're not the enemies of Christ. The enemies of the cross of Christ. They think they are following Christ. They think they really love Christ and dedicate to Christ and dedicate to the kingdom. But they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And in the process, what they don't realize is, their end is, ah, the end is destruction. They don't realize their end is what? Destruction. Actually, they will end up becoming what? The sons of perdition. Their end is destruction. Why? Because their God is there. What did they make Christ into? A God who satisfies your physical and material aspirations in this world. We have lots of desires in this world and you connect Christ to that. But when the cross comes, the world dies, Christ becomes clearer and suddenly your aspirations are connected with the kingdom and not with this world. Therefore you are willing to suffer loss in this world because you see gain there. On the other hand, you may be suffering loss now because the cross is in there, but you're looking at your gain here and not there. That's the difference. Why? The God is their belly. The glory is their shame. Shame where? Here? No. Shame is there. In the heavenly realm, when they look at that, they are ashamed at these people who are running after the world and call them Christians. Here they are glorified. Shame is not the same here and there. Look at the rich man in that parable of rich man and Lazarus. When he was walking on earth, was there any shame? But didn't the angelic realm look down at him, know his end? They knew his end. They didn't see his glory. They saw his shame. On earth they saw, people saw Lazarus' shame. But in the other realm, they were seeing his glory. Their shame, who set their mind on what? Earthly things. Set their mind on earthly things. That is the key. Okay. This faith is actually false. That's how the falling away takes place. That's why we hear over and over and over and over about a crossless Christianity. Remember Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things. Hoped for the evidence of things. Not seen. The eyes of faith are on the unseen. Second Corinthians 4.18. What does it say? For the things which are seen are Temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternal. Things which are not seen are eternal. 
Once again, I'm telling you young people, I threw a spanner in the works in Dubai when I told them. Uh, we have made, like, you know, you know it all, but for them, like, they were shocked. The, the, the more affluent church, not the other church. When I told them, our, we worship education. We worship education. That's our problem. And pride sets in because we worship education. While everything that you are supposed to do, whatever job you do, is your trade. This is education. We pride in our qualifications and our service record. But God, this, this is true education. If any man is proud, let him be proud that he knows me. If any man glorifies, let him glory in the fact that he knows me. And most of the people who are proud of their accomplishments and their degrees don't know God. They have no knowledge of his word. So we have misplaced. You should work hard. You should do well. Again, depends. What does it mean to do well? Unless we see scripture. In the kingdom of God, you need to understand, God, there's an incredible dignity about labor. Any labor. Any labor. That's why his son did not come as a doctor. He came as a carpenter. Father picked up. No? I mean, which king would send his son to be a carpenter? He would have sent him as an engineer because he's going to build a church, right? And he calls the church a building, right? And he came as a healer, so he should have been a specialist. And he came as a teacher, he should have been a prof. But nothing. This came as a carpenter. Okay. But he was an excellent carpenter. I don't know what he made, but I know he was an excellent, hard-working carpenter. When I told in that Hindi church to the pastor, I said, you know one thing? I know another person there, I said, no. One thing I know, Jesus was an incredibly hard-working carpenter for the first 20, 25 years of his life. I said, how do you know his? I said, I said, because to be a really good, faithful carpenter of those days, you really need to physically work hard. And I say, he was a physically fit man. Strong body and strong muscles. He said, where did you get that from? Is it there in the scripture? I said, no. But you can presume it because any man who's beaten black and blue the previous night with the back bleeding cannot carry the cross the next day. He was an incredibly so God picked his profession for him to fulfill his purpose. You understand God's plans. Okay, if he was a, what you call blue collar worker sitting in the office and he would have fallen. Oh, my back is hurting. God says, no, you know what you've come for, son? Yes, that's your job. 25 years. Okay. Gone. Okay. Understand. Okay. That's why the walk of faith is so incredibly important because what is not seen is what is really true, eternal. And how do we constantly bring our eyes, our minds, our thoughts back? Scripture actually says your eyes, fix your eyes, your mind, your thoughts, your heart, everything to Christ, to the things above, to the kingdom unseen. Everything, your whole focus should be on that while you live here. That's why it is a battle. The walk of faith is an unbelievable battle. Second Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept that faith. It's a battle of faith. Because every day you have to battle what? Sight. Every day you have to battle sight. You wake up in the morning. First your body starts telling. Why do you have to wake up? 
aches and creaks and pains. Why do you have to praise more today than yesterday? Don't you know more today? Precisely because you know more today, you need to pray more today because you understand the nature of the battle. Why do you need God more today than yesterday? Because you understand the nature of the battle. It's a battle constantly. And the falling away happens because people revert to sight. And that actually happens because of wrong teaching. The teaching in the church, what has to be taught has to be the word of God and the full picture of who Christ is. Listen, understand this. Deception is the highest when we are ignorant of the true knowledge of God and his kingdom. The less I know about God and the less I know about the kingdom, it's easier to deceive me. Okay? The less we know about how who God is, the less we know our Bible in simple. Really understand the Bible, not reading the Bible, memorizing Bible, the understanding God of the Bible and the kingdom that is portrayed in the Bible. This is what we need to understand. That's the purpose we are reading the Bible, to understand God and understand his ways and understand how his kingdom... For, the more open we are to deception. That's why in Second John verse 1, chapter 1 and 9, who are transgressors and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. That's a, that's a like heartbreaking statement. He says, if you do not know how the kingdom works, and you do not understand the doctrine of Christ, it doesn't matter how much you jump on earth. You do not have God. You do not have a person minus his words. Now, those of you were there who are in, in LHL, who be in LHL and seen our children, even Danya has a personality that communicates. She's blind, she's sleepy, she's fed through the nose, she cannot speak, she can hear, she can hear, and she responds to certain sounds. So even she communicates and you can understand something about that little baby because even she is able to communicate. The doctrine of Christ is the communication of God. And God says, <laughs> if you don't understand how what God speaks and what he is speaking and what he has told, you don't have God. <laughs> you don't have God. Because the doctrine of Christ is who God is. And he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Because they are the same. There's no difference between them. That's why the emphasis of Jesus three and a half years with his disciples in teaching. We all jump at the miracles. The miracles was only to get a crowd. So that he could teach them. But when they were not interested in the teaching, he just walked away. Fed them, healed them, walked away. But his focus was on teaching his disciples. And even after resurrection, his focus was on teaching. In Luke 24 verse 45 says, he opened their understanding that they could comprehend the scriptures. He says, don't you understand scripture? This is all about me. The whole point of reading scripture is so that you know God. He says, you don't understand scripture? Why are you reading? Why are you doing your daily devotions without knowing God? What is the whole purpose? Even some people will say, oh, my favorite psalm is which one? Psalm 23. Oh, listen, you love it so much, yeah. 
but he only knows the first two verses of Psalm 23. That's the problem. He leads me beside still waters and green pasture. And never moved from there. Stuck there. You don't know what it is to be led through the valley of shadow of death. Therefore, you don't know the power of his rod and the strength of his staff. You don't know what it is to be surrounded by enemies and still be fed by your God in the midst of your enemies. Those are real experiences of God. You don't know it. Because you only know two verses of Psalm 23. And that say, that's my, everywhere I go, they say, favorite Psalm. Which one? Psalm 23. I said, even that you don't know. You don't know the God of Psalm 23. Whole purpose is interpret experience with scripture, not scripture with experience. Don't interpret scripture with experience. Interpret your experience with scripture. Oh, God is... Lord, I'm going to the valley of shadow, death, Lord. God says, neither my rod nor my staff will be with some people. Really, Lord? Yes. Why? Because it is written. I'm not scaring you. Okay. That's why book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, they steadfastly gathered for the apostles' doctrine. So get this. We need knowledge. We need true knowledge of the word of God. But why? Because faith comes from hearing from thee. So what does that mean? The word of God should be the source of our faith. The word of God should be the source of our faith. Be very careful. I believe. Why do you believe? Can you tell me why you believe? Where did your faith come from? Can you quote me at least one scripture, two scriptures? Like, while, while I was coming, I was just listening to one small snippet from Derek Prince. And Derek, uh, Derek Prince was talking, beautiful, small little, he, said, he was talking about waiting patiently for God's time. Patiently. He said, God does things only in his time. And one of the things he teaches his people, his servants, is to wait. But the problem is, the problem here beautifully uh, is in this thing. You cannot wait unless you have a promise. What are you waiting on? Do you have a promise to wait on? Abraham had a promise. Therefore, based on that promise, he could wait. Joseph had a promise, so he could wait 13 years. In the midst of his troubles and his tragedies, he could still wait because he had a promise. People will say, I'm waiting. My question is, do you have a promise? What are you waiting on? What do you base your waiting on? Even your waiting on has to be by faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Because he's a living God who speaks. So the source of our faith is the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the... And leave Pastor Vijay and the older ones. Tell me, which verse is that? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Pardon? Dr. Richard, not you. <laughs> Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith is the evidence of things 
and unseen. So what is the realm of faith? The unseen. The realm of faith is unseen. That's why God's promises are in that realm and not here. You appropriate it by faith. That's why Ephesians says you have blessed you with every blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. So your faith is there. Your faith is not here. And by faith you pull it down. So the source of your faith is the word of God. The realm of your faith is the unseen realm. And the third, without faith it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. So the object of your faith is God. That's how you check your faith. What's the source of my faith? Word of God. What's the realm of my faith? The unseen world. Who is the object of my faith? It's God. That's true faith. So deception runs rampant here. Faith comes from hearing. Not if I don't know the word of God. Where is the faith going to come from? At least to enter into the other side at death, you need one verse. If you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Dung, you go that side. That's how the thief entered. One verse, he was right. His confession agreed with the word, which was written later. But the word of God is there forever. Even for it was written, it was always there. Because scripture says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus, you are saved. And that's what he looked at Jesus and said. First he repented. He said, look, we are sinners. He is not. That's all God says. Accept you are a sinner. Second, he said, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, Rama Mitzvah said, you are in. Only one scripture he knew that took him in. One scripture. But be very careful. On that day, at least you know that one scripture. One scripture that can take you in. Because faith comes from hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And if you are dying and you are thinking, Lord, you know who I was, Lord. I was a specialist at Apollo, Lord. You know how many patients I treated, Lord. And so many I gave them free. God says, wait a second. You are planning to come there on your good works? You really planning to come on your good works? You think you can stand in your presence and show me off? You can enter into holy of holies in your good works? It's the only way you will enter through the blood of my son, through the work which he has done. Was Cornelius a good man? Of course Cornelius was a good man. Scripture says he was a pagan, a Roman, who was doing good works and even God's people he helped. And scripture says his deeds came before God. God looks at good people and their good works and then he gave him a dream and said, call a man called Simon Peter. Listen to him. He will tell you how to get in. All your good works is good. That's not going to get you in. But because of your good works, I will send a messenger to you. He will come and preach the word to you. If you reject his word, you are out. If you accept your word, you are in. That's all the good works did. Still take you to that door and you have to make a choice. Understand how scripture works. So please remember, deception will run rampant here. Faith comes from hearing and the problem is people don't hear. People don't want to hear. People fall asleep during the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word or the reading of the word and our focus is on all the other things. And the object of our faith is not God. We don't even realize it's so subtle. The object of our faith is me, Nanu. It is me. Lord, don't you 
see. What is Martha doing? Cooking. What is the objective of faith? Christ? No. She, Lord, don't you see? I am working. She is sitting. Lord, don't you see? She forgot who she was cooking for. The object of her entire work was her. And that's why so many people are going to be so disappointed in heaven. Not because their work was not bad. It was good. But the object was them. The object was always them. Just not God. The object was them. And that's where the subtle deception takes place. And today most of the teachings on faith... It's not about God. It's not about his kingdom. It's not about his glory. It's about self. It is about self. And third, you will see, the realm of the faith is not the unseen, but it is the seen. It is not about the kingdom of God. It is about the kingdom of man. It is about the kingdom of man. Like, today is the 51st day of this year. Remember years back on the 50th day was our Pentecost. Many got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Today also many got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But why do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Remember the Simon the sorcerer seeing that the Spirit was received with the laying of hands. says, look, boy, this is cool. I'll give you money. I want that too. What he desired was not wrong. But the reason he desired was wrong. The reason, the motive. Please be very, very, very careful because the realm of faith is the unseen and not the seen. So the falling away is happening widely and very subtly. Very, very subtly. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Scripture says, Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes and the man of sin is Reveal. Who is not revealed? The man of sin. Why? Who is the man of sin? Now this is talking in the church. This is not talking outside the church. This is all not talking about Outside the world there are only men and women of sin. Because they are born in sin, shaped in iniquity and never been born again. So they are called men of sin. But inside the church how is the man of sin revealed? Because he is not walking by faith. But if you are not walking by faith, how is a man of sin revealed? Romans 14, 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is, whatever is not a faith is. Did you see how the man of sin is being revealed? He's not walking by faith. Because he's controlled by the physical and the material things. Food, clothes, Job. So they're all connected here, right? Basically got to do with provision. Jesus calls it provision. Everything connected here. With the body. That's why Jesus asked this interesting rhetorical question in Matthew 6.25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Not about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Now think about it. Do we think about the body more than food, clothing and a job? What are you all studying for? 
Where are you all going shopping for? Do you have considered the body is more than all the material things which the body can acquire and use? Have you looked at the body as such much bigger than that? Have you seen life as bigger than all this? Jesus is telling them. Get your perspective right, he says. Your body, God needs. But the body is bigger than all the things you are running after. And do you know what men of God call this body? Men of God in the Bible called this body? That's a real eye-opener. Matthew 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? They call this body of death. But we are struggling and straining to feed this body of death. Body of death. That's what they called it, the body of death. And God is saying, do you realize ignorance is a killer? Because we are living in the most biblically illiterate generation. Really. Illiterate generation. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about generally in Christendom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, we know this end up by the narrow. But there are very few who find it. Very few who find it. I didn't say it, so don't get mad at me. I don't even presume I am in that few. Why? Because when he was writing the letter to Philippians, Paul did not presume he was in that few. So how dare I presume I am in that few? Okay, He did not presume he was. He realized he was in the few only when he wrote 2 Timothy. When he wrote Philippians, he was not sure. I cannot presume. None of us can presume. Because only... God, His Word, and His Spirit can give us that confidence. That's why ignorance and unbelief are killers. While rebellion is cancer, third stage, terminal stage. No hope. Okay? Ignorance and unbelief are killers. And that was so right from the beginning. Ignorance and unbelief. Know the difference. Ignorance means you don't know. Unbelief means you know, but you don't believe. First Timothy 2.40 Adam was not deceived. What does that mean? He knew. So let me see, whose sin was greater, Adam's or Eve's? Adam's, because he knew. <laughs> not Eve's. Eve was deceived, she did not know. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But when they both ate, they both fell. Eve was deceived, Adam was not. So Eve, it is ignorance. Adam, it is no, it is uh, first. It is uh, unbelief. He really did not believe that if you eat, you will die. He doubted God's word. But both became sinners. One out of ignorance, the other out of unbelief. If you read Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, the Lord God put man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep. The Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of garden you may freely eat. The woman was not even in the picture when this was told. She's not even created. So the one who has first-hand information of the construction of God, instruction of God, the ways of God, and the nature of the kingdom is Adam, not Eve. She has only second-hand information. And so many are like Eve. They only have second-hand information. And the problem is not with the second-hand information. The problem is from whom you have received the second-hand information. 
If you have received the second hand information from a, somebody like Adam who received first hand, it is good. It's still okay. But if your second hand information is from a fellow who is the second hand information source himself, then you are in big serious trouble. So many are like Eve. They only have second hand information. Many, 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 many denomination in the church. What the pastor has said, what the father has said, they take it and live it and die with it without realizing where they are reaching. They don't have first hand experience. They haven't searched out the scriptures on their own as if their entire life depended upon it. That's how you have to search scripture. The way Pastor Vijay many years ago prepared for IIT entrance. That's how you have to prepare. Day and night. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God said, you will find me. God is not, I don't know how we use that term. It's not that you cannot find him. You can find him. He said it. But he said, you have to find me. You have to search me with all your heart. Beautiful. We looked at the earlier also, but just so that we, I get you back everywhere I go. I struggle to get the mind of the congregation back to God and his kingdom. Matthew 13 verses 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. For joy over it, he goes and sells all. Keys on this, all that he has. He sold all that he has and buys that field. For what? Because he wanted to possess that. He says, it is that nature that you are willing to lose everything to gain the kingdom of God. God says, you find me. As long, it's like I keep telling everywhere, God will never be second in anybody's life. Never. I'm not saying you will not enter into the kingdom of God, but you will not serve him, say, seeing his face eternity. it. That's not going to happen. That's a glory reserved to only for people of this 6,000 years who put him first in their life, willing to lose anything. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me keep challenging you. Through the years, through the days, there's no other way if you really, really want to find God. And when the day draws closer and closer and closer, day, what day? Day of death, the day of judgment you will realize only one thing matters. After the mad pursuit, after the world and all the issues of the world, you will realize actually only one thing matters. Do I really know him? Does he know me? How do I face judgment day? And you see this confusion because people don't seek God, both with the people and be with the leadership. We saw that. The first leaders of Israel were two brothers. An elder brother and a younger brother. The elder brother's name was Aaron. And the younger brother's name was Moses. Much younger, much younger brother, Moses. Aaron was the elder one. But they were completely different. Both had originally lived in Egypt. One in incredible opulence in the palace. Highly educated. While the other one had lived in relative poverty and slavery. But one was separated from Egypt and taken into the wilderness for 40 years. Emptied of 
all the voices, thoughts, influence, ways of Egypt or this world. Then, after that 40 years, he had an encounter with the living God at the burning bush. First, emptied. Because if you had an encounter with the living God when you are full of the world, it makes no difference. Because you will still try to negotiate with God. Pastor, how can you say that? Scripture, full of himself, Jacob, running from his father's house, with his head down at Bethel, sees heaven open, the ladder down, God speaking to him, angels up. He's still trying to negotiate with God about money and prosperity. Because he's still full of himself. He's not emptied. 20 years later, or years later, at Peniel, he will say, unless you bless me. He's got everything he wanted, but he says, unless you bless me, I will not let you. I have seen the face of God. God says, today you are Israel and not Jacob. So understand this. Okay. Now he encounters God. While the second one, Aaron, was never separated from Egypt. Or the voices of Egypt. And he never encountered the God of Israel personally. But both experienced the power of the living God. But only one experience the person of the living God. Understand this. Both experience what? The power of the living God. So you have both of them going into Egypt. So you have snake. Stuff becoming snake. The blood. The frogs. The knots. Whose rod? Rod of Aaron. Next few. It is God. God, without Aaron or Moses. Then he tells Moses, take a handful of dust, suit, and throw it up. Now it's the hand of Moses. After that, next three is the rod of Moses, not the rod of Aaron. Read scripture carefully. First four, rod of Aaron. Then God, then the hand of Moses, then the rod of Moses, and the last one is again God. So both experience the power of God. But only one experience, the person of God. Then when there is a situation in the desert, when the person who has encountered God is gone away, and the church, that is Israel, is left with the person who never encountered the person of God, he compromises. Because he doesn't know the person of God. Are you getting the picture? That is why leadership matters. So if you are a person who hasn't encountered God personally, then you will make God in whichever image the people want. That's why he said, bring me a gold. We'll fashion a golden calf and we can call him by the name you like. Yahweh, Elohim. Not a problem. Aaron gave the people what they wanted. And he reshaped the living God in the image that did not threaten them. Of course, if I were to present Jesus in the way you love it, no stress on the body, on the flesh, you will also rise up early to worship that God. Right? Because scripture says they rose up early and worshipped him. And sat down to eat, to drink, 
to play. You see, if it is only that, anybody will rise up early in the morning to worship. What does Moses do? He comes down, you know, he comes down with the law, the two ten commandments, he comes down, he takes that, he sees the golden calf, what does he do? He takes it, he powders it, it's a difficult job in the desert, he powders it, he mixes it water and makes them all drink it. What does it mean? What does it mean? You see, when a man who has encountered God, it's not that man will not sin. Moses also sinned, David also sinned. But when a man encounters God, he has very deep convictions. Very deep convictions. What I tell people everywhere I go and when Pastor Vijay and we talk, I say, you know what? Christians today don't have convictions. They have likes and dislikes, like you have in Facebook and Twitter and all. They have likes and dislikes. They don't have deep convictions. And many things which they do or they don't do, which are good, scriptural, and not because of convictions, but because of likes and dislikes. Why don't you do that? Oh, I don't like it. And they think it is a conviction. It is not a conviction. Convictions come when you have encountered the person of Jesus Christ. So even when David sinned, it was not a dislike of what he has done. It is an incredibly deep conviction which is making him restless. Though everything is now at at peaceful in the kingdom. Nobody is talking about it. Everything is stable. The kingdom is prospering. Everything is happening. He's restless because his convictions are very deep because he knows the God of the Bible. And today people don't have convictions. Don't have convictions. And it always shocks me that a religious person, though his religious knowledge may be faulty, ignorant, has sometimes deeper convictions, though his convictions are wrong, than a person who is a Christian who has no convictions. Now let me tell you a simple example. In India, knowledge may be wrong, but look at the conviction. If you are in North India and you kill a cow, what would happen? You would have the mobs coming over because simply because of the conviction about who the cow is. But you have in America in so-called Christian nation where two states actually declared that a baby can be killed even in the last trimester of well being born. It did not create a ripple among the Christians. Did you see Christians on the street? No. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother. But the same Christians voted in a Congress because of health care. And they all go to church and say they all are Christians. You see, the, we are a group of Christians who have no convictions. We have just likes and dislikes. Now God is a God who brings conviction. That's the difference of the reaction. Here is a man who makes a golden calf and says, this is Elohim who brought you out of Egypt. Worship him. And another man comes down, takes it and breaks it and powders it to show the depth of his conviction. That's what Jesus is. Jesus was a man of deep convictions. That's what he always incredibly upset with religious leaders. He was not upset with the people. Because he's not the people are not the problem. The problem is the leadership. And he was always angry with the leadership. Why was he angry? How can you change the image of the living God? When it came to leadership, he was never tolerant. When he went into the temple, he was so upset because of his deep convictions. That's what God is talking about. 
That's why we know that verse very well. We know very well. Psalm 103, verse 7. He showed his ways to and his deeds to. And children of Israel included Aaron, his elder brother. Elder brother. Moses was a man who knew the ways of God. Therefore, he had an incredible deep conviction of what truth does. Because remember, God is truth. And they have been deceived. And you have to see Israel's history. There was only one generation that possessed the promised land. That was Joshua's generation. Because it was the uncompromised generation. They came out of Egypt. They wandered 40 years in the desert. Everything of Egypt was taken out of them. The voices, the ways, the thoughts, the pleasures, everything was taken out of them until they were so absolutely focused on God and the leader. So they could possess the promised land. They're absolutely focused and there is nothing distracting them in the wilderness. So please remember, we are compromised. That's where the falling away happens. And we are compromised with the world. And this is why scripture uses these illustrations in 1 Corinthians 10. With most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I I will always use this illustration. How do you know a person? How do you know the, the in the wilderness, the first generation was compromised? How do you know they were compromised? If you just looked at them walking you would know they are compromised. How do you know a person is compromised? Is only going in? How is your spiritual life? I will tell you whether you are compromised or not. Are you going up or are you going in circles? That's how you know. It's the same routine, spiritual. When scripture means God is the same yesterday, today, for tomorrow, it, it, don't take it literally and mean, yeah, Jesus is still the same. No. Get to know him. More and more and more. And there is love and this incredible reverence and fear also that comes together with that. Because you really start understanding who he is. Because you are on a different journey. You are not going in circles. You are on a linear path with God. And that's what God is talking about. How do you know? And in Jude 1, 5, 2, I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, when he's warning the church, you knew this and you walked accordingly. I want to warn you again. Having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, he afterward destroyed those who did not. Not the ignorant. They knew now. And he destroyed them. Because they did not believe. That's why Jesus wants over and over and over about deception. And deception is always connected with truth. And judgment is connected with truth. In Romans 2.2, 2, this is what Paul says. But we know that the judgment of God is according to according to truth. And this is truth. It's very simple, right? No? This is an open book exam God has asked us to take. Uh, your children won't know. When you come to your PhD level, you will know what an open book exam is. Okay? It is not a simple exam. They give you seven days and one que- two questions of which you have to answer one or two. I forgot. How many? Two or one? One, right? Yeah, one question, seven days. And you can... Go sit in the library with even seven days won't be enough. A lifetime won't be enough. It's an open book exam. This is how you will be judged. Jesus himself said, I will not judge you on that day. The word that I have spoken to you will judge you that day. We are hearing. We are hearing. 
When truth is tampered with, we have just likes and dislikes. We do not have convictions. We don't have convictions. We need to have deep convictions. Deep, deep convictions. Like Joseph. Like Daniel. Deep convictions. Incredibly deep convictions over small things. Deep convictions. We don't have deep convictions about big things. Forget small things. Abortion is a big thing. It's infanticide. No convictions. Eating from the table is a small thing. But Daniel had a great conviction about a small thing. So imagine what his conviction would have been about a big thing. He had a great conviction about prayer. Law has been passed. Nobody can pray for 30 days. He said, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, you have answered my prayers. You have answered my prayer that I don't have to pray for 30 days. Deep convictions. You see how shallow spiritual life is? Because we have tampered with truth. Truth is not defining our life. So we need to be very, very careful in Psalm 96 verse 13. For his coming, for his coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. They're all talking about judgment, right? How is he going to judge? He's coming to judge the earth and he shall judge the world with righteousness. And he shall judge the peoples with with truth. See, righteousness is the product of a judgment made in truth. Because righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. You don't just get righteousness. Righteousness is a product. It's a product. How did God declare me righteous? Just like that? No. First, I had to repent. This is the way I am going. I have to turn. Second, I had to look at the only way. Jesus, the only way. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And Jesus took my sin. I had to humble myself and agree. This is a body of death. That is the body of life. I died to this. And live to that. God says you are saved. You are saved. Absolutely. No faith in this. All the faith in that. God says you are saved. So there is a judgment. That's how God judges. And that's what God is talking to us about. And we need to be very, very careful. Because ignorance is not an option. Especially in the new covenant. In Acts 17. Again, let's look at it once again. 17. 30, 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the why is this connected with? It's connected with judgment. We read only verse 30. We don't understand the context. God says a day of judgment is coming. So seasons of ignorance, God overlooked. Now repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the knowledge of God. Therefore, just two more verses and we shall stop for today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. For we must all Appear before what? The judgment seat of Christ. 
that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore, what? The terror of the Lord. We person. We sometimes read only words 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What is the terror of the Lord connected with? It's connected with judgment. It's connected with judgment. The terror. This is Paul. Says, I know the terror of the Lord thinking about the Bema seat of Christ. The terror of the Lord. And Romans 11.22. Then I want to show you a snippet to keep you awake through the night. Snippet from the Bible. Not screen. Go to Isaiah 66, okay? After that. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. Now let me tell you, when everything is over, thousand year reign of Jesus is over, judgment is over, everybody is put into the lake of fire and everything, right? Everybody knows that. And the new creation has begun. It's so beautiful, new heaven, new earth, and the new city of Jerusalem and all. But even then, when everything has been made new, God is living with his saints, there is something that is kept open, even for the new creation, never to forget the holiness of God and the terror of the Lord. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. And the last three verses, 22 onwards. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. Their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. He says, all of eternity, the saved the living, the conquerors will have a glimpse of hell to see this is what happens when you don't walk in truth. It's not, it won't be hidden from the eyes of the saved. They will see. And some of us will see our own loved ones lying there. What does scripture say? Their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now I will tell you the other side of it. All those who are saved, glorious, they get a new body, glorious body, floating, flying, whatever you want to call it. In the other side, there, they get a different body. It's a body that never dies. Meaning, that's why the worm does not die. You know, every body that is buried a little later, the worm eats, and the body goes, the worm goes. There, the body doesn't go, nor do the worms die. It's a constant torture for eternity. The fire never quenches because the fire is being constantly fed by your own flesh. This is the reality of, of, a, of a place without God. God says, this is where I am not. You wanted a life without me, right? You did not want my son. You don't want to choose the way I made for you through the cross, the horror my son had to go through to save you. You said, I'll make my own way. He said, that's where you end. There's no other way. There's no other way. And this is the reality in the new creation. They shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transcripts against me. Understand? So this world is irrelevant. This body is irrelevant. The purpose of this body is to serve God in whichever way. 
Whichever way, where we study hard, we learn these disciplines and all, but we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And our minds are not renewed by anything of this world. We acquire skills for our trade. Education is this. What is education? This is education. This is education. The rest are all skills. This is education. We are educated in the word of God. And we have deep convictions because we seek him with all our heart. And we encounter God one-on-one in the new covenant. Aaron was a man who did not encounter God. Moses was a man and who encountered God. And the reaction to the same situation was absolutely different. So the question is, how do you react? How do you react to situations? We'll tell you whether you have second-hand information of God or do you have a first-hand information of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this evening we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. We do not want to be a people who are moved around by our circumstances. We want to be a people who are led by your Spirit. And the Spirit cannot lead us unless we walk by faith. And we cannot walk by faith unless, oh God, the object of our faith is God himself, Lord. The realm of our faith is the unseen. And the source of our faith is your truth. Keep changing us, Lord. Keep changing us. Cause us to walk with you and seek after you, Lord. This night, once again, we commit the ones who are not well, especially Apu, Lord. We continue to speak your word over her life. Your word says, I sent forth your word, my word, and healed you of your infirmities. We speak that word, Lord. Pray even now the word will go forth. And heal her, Lord, continuously. Every bone in her body, every tissue in her body, every joint, everything, Lord, be healed. That when she comes out, she'll be made new by you, Lord. In her body and in her inner man. New strength and a new perception of God and of heaven, Lord. Strengthen them both, Lord, and bring them out for a greater purpose, Lord. Thank you, Father. Once again, I commit the church into thy hands, O Lord. Help us to be to be at watch always and not to be swayed by our circumstances, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.